Yeah. Silence. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So um, I'm Tony Heath, if you don't recognise me. Um, uh, last week, we were here last week, uh, we, the communion was done by Alex. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Alex is my son, so there you go. So I thought, I didn't realise that till I suddenly realised you're going to get two Heaths in a row. <laughs> so I thought, maybe is that a good or bad thing? But the good news is, um, in some ways, we're very similar. In terms of physical build and strength, <laughs> we are so alike. All right. In other ways. Sammy Murphs is in danger. When I look in the mirror, I see no difference. But, uh, but, but in terms of uh, maybe, well, hopefully in terms of what we share will be slightly different. So hopefully today will be um, a different, um, but it won't be as good as Alex Love. We no. Remember. <laughs> but... Um, let me tell you a little bit about myself. So I'm here with, say, Alex is my son, Karen's my wife. Um, we're part of the Thames Valley Church. In the Thames Valley Church, we're part of the shepherding group. Um, I say that carefully. I don't want to call myself a shepherd. <laughs> Jesus was a shepherd, and that was a very special role. And, um, you know, the shepherd's voice and all that stuff. So, yeah, but we're part of the shepherding group. And the idea of the shepherding group is that um, it's a group of people who are there to listen to other people in the church who may be facing what they think are extraordinary situations or some things that maybe they haven't faced before and they need somebody to listen to them. The idea isn't necessarily that we're there as um, you know, an expert advisors or anything more like, but more like people who will sort of you know, encourage them and help them to maybe find the help, um, the, you know, whatever they need. And the great thing I love about that group is we have a commitment in that group that we never talk about the people that we spend time with, with anybody else. So it's a real sort of, it's supposed to be a safe place to come, you know, where you can talk about some things. It may be just things like bereavement or things like that, that you, you, that's challenging your life, but you can talk to somebody and maybe get some input or whatever about, you know, how to get through those things. So we've, we feel particularly privileged to be part of that group and that's been a real learning curve for Karen and I and you know as far as it goes anybody in this group who feels like they want somebody to listen to them please feel free in any way to get in touch with us because we you know we'd be honored to spend time with anybody sort of thing you know and it's great to you know learn from each other so amen so please encourage today um I'm going to talk a little bit about the next slide um <laughs> This is my, well, I'm going to talk, we've been, in our little tiny little family group, we meet up in Alton, where we live, we've been, we're going to work through the book of Acts. I think I went for the book of Acts, or we went for the book of Acts for different reasons. One of the reasons for me was that I find it quite challenging, the book of Acts. Mm. There's all this, the church grew, the church grew, the church grew, the church grew. It's an, it's an inspiring book, but it's actually quite challenging as well. But um, for, I'm gonna, we looked at Acts 1 a, few, a couple of weeks back. I'm going to look at it again. I'm going to focus a little bit on this theme, um, which has come on for me for this year, of suspending your agenda. Uh, suspend your agenda. That's probably a bit of a working title in some ways. I'm going to hit on a couple of other things that came out as I read this, this um, passage, really, which stood out to me. But the underlying thing is this sense of suspend your agenda. So let's go to the next slide. Um, right. Audience participation. Okay. <laughs> we'll start with a bit of audience participation. Get some engagement here. What I want you to do, 
Okay? Now suppose, just suppose, Jesus walked through the door right now. Physically walked into this room and he said, I've got time for a 10-minute one-to-one with each person in this room. Here's my question. I want you to talk to the person next to you about this for a couple of minutes. What question? You've got to ask him a question. That's the thing. What question would you ask Jesus if he was physically going to spend 10 minutes on a one-to-one with you? So I'll give you a couple of minutes just to talk about that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's let's regroup. I I regroup because I heard a voice say, I don't think I want to know that. (laughs) Which is a great point. (laughs) Great. Uh, amen. So, yeah, go on. Just throw, anybody, did anybody come up with a burning question they really wanted to ask Jesus? Yeah. What is heaven like? Really? Have we got it right? Have we got it right? Yeah. Have we got it right? Anything else? Roger? What do you want me to do with the rest of my life? Oh. Amen. That's interesting. That is really interesting. Okay, well, let's go to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read. Acts chapter 1. I'm reading off my phone. I apologise for that. I wanted to bring a Bible, but I left it at home. Okay. Next slide. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Merv's ahead of me. Thanks, Merv. Okay, it says, in Acts chapter 1, it says, in my former book, Theophilus. Now, let me just tell you, interesting fact, Theophilus means basically loving God. So I learned, first thing I learned here was it may just not really be a person at all. It may just be Somebody who loves God. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's stop there. You know, so I was fascinated. You know, they get a chance to ask Jesus a question here. And they say, they gather around him and ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? That's the question they ask. So I thought about that question. Next slide. You know, um, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. We went, Karen, this is Karen and me, okay? Now you have to guess what city we're in. Not that I'm going to go on and on about it. New York. Okay, so let's quickly go through where are the locations. First picture, where's that? Trump Tower. You got, that's an easy one, isn't it? Because it says Trump Tower on it. You don't get many points for that one. Second one. You get points for that. 
Times Square. Third one. Liberty. Statue. 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 Which, now, what river is that on? Is that on the Hudson? No. no? Question. I think it's the Hudson. I think it's the Hudson, yeah. They converged. Yeah. Then the next one. Empire Roger knows this too well. I'm banning Roger oh, yeah. from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've actually lived there. Next one. Anybody guess? Oh, yeah. he was. <laughs> I'll let you do it in a minute. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's still New York. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> Sorry? It's just like he's back in school again. Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> right, it is Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> there are three bridges in New York. <laughs> oh gosh, I can't remember. <laughs> no. There are three bridges, Brooklyn, Manhattan, yeah. and Williamsburg. Okay. BMW, easy to remember. If you want to sound like you know New York, BMW. <laughs> Excuse me, Roger, for a second. Next picture. Yes. The next one. Tricky one. Grand Station. How many platforms does Grand Central have? Uh, <laughs> 150. 150. Wow. And my favourite picture, the last picture. Where's that? Almost. <laughs> You're not actually far away. You're not far away. That is actually, see, this was our 30th wedding anniversary trip, okay? That picture was taken at Heathrow Airport. Wow. Now, Karen and I decided we were going to have Champagne breakfast. Nice. It was our 30th wedding anniversaries, but we couldn't afford champagne, so we had Prosecco breakfast. <laughs> so, but we had to take a picture. And Karen said, she, I started saying, but she said, you can't take it like that, you're getting my chin in. <laughs> and so that was the result of that episode, <laughs> our first argument. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I have to. <laughs> the trip went fine after that. We had an absolutely fantastic time. But we did all this. Do you know why we did this? We did this because our daughter says, You have to take selfies. <laughs> you have to take selfies. You know, all those places, the predominant people in those pictures, the predominant thing about those pictures are what? Me and Karen, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? We stand out about this, maybe this one not so much, but generally all you can see is me and Karen. A few things in the background. You know, and my first point is selfie focus. Selfie focus. You know, I think that, you know, it's interesting when you look at this passage, you see that the question they ask Jesus is, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? What sort of, does that sound like a self-focused question to you? Think about your own question you've asked Jesus. Is that a question focused on you or focused on Jesus? You know, it's interesting that they start out, you know, I, I started to look into a bit about, think about the kingdom. Kingdom's an interesting idea. Next slide, please. You know, the, 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 the thing about um, the kingdom of Israel was that it was important 
to the Jews of the time. Immensely important. And it was actually a major issue between the Jews of the time, the religious leaders of the time, and Jesus. Because actually, one of the things about the Jewish leaders of the time was they feared, in many ways, that Jesus was going to restore the kingdom of Israel in a way that would take their power away. I don't know what, you know, John chapter 2, sorry, John chapter 10, verse 22 to 24, it reads, it says, further conflict over Jesus' claim. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered round him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Who knows what the festival of dedication is? Now, if, if, when you read that, do you think, oh, I'm just going to go back look in my Old Testament, somewhere about Exodus or somewhere like that, and I'm going to find this, this festival sort of thing? Not so. What I didn't realise was the festival of dedication was actually a reference to a point in the intertest... Did you say that word? Intertestimony? Testimonial period but between the Old and the New Testament. It's a reference to a period of that period of time when, um, after Alexander the Great disappeared, he let his, his kingdom was split up into several different between several different people. And actually, the people who took over the area um, that Jerusalem was in, they eventually became quite harsh. And they took control of the temple and they drove the, the, you know, the Jews out of the temple and took it over for their own sort of gods and stuff like that. And a guy called Mac, Julius, Julius Maccabee yeah. effectively fought back and he regained the temple. That's a very pricey version of the story. But the result was that they had this period, this celebration, which is now called Hanukkah which was a festival of dedication. Was that what I said? Festival of dedication. When they remembered this amazing period when they regained the temple. Then the Romans came along. The Romans came along and they sort of smoothed it all over a bit. They didn't quite take it over, but they took control of the situation and they allowed certain, they allowed the Jews to have certain authority as long as they were aligned with the Romans. When Jesus came along, the Pharisees, etc., were scared that that balance of power was going to be knocked out. And so they kind of feared that Jesus was going to lead this rebellion and displace, stop them having this sort of deal they had with the Romans where they could still have their law, they could still be in charge of the situation as long as they didn't upset Rome. They didn't want Jesus to come along and knock everything out of the way which was never his plan. He wasn't going to be Julius Maccabee, but they feared he would. And so that's ultimately, in many ways, what leads to them killing him. You know, we can like the status quo in the same way that the Jews like the status quo. We don't want Jesus to come in our lives because he's going to knock out that status quo. We kind of like the way our lives are. That's one way we can be self-focused. It's like, Jesus, don't come into my life. Don't upset my status quo. 
When we study the Bible, that's one of the challenges. Our lives may be settled in a way that we feel comfortable. We know they're not quite right. Then Jesus comes along and threatens that status quo. You know, we have to be willing to accept that we've got to move our self-focus. The apostles, interestingly, say, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, is, who's their focus on? Again, in some subtle ways, I think their focus is still on themselves, not on what Jesus intends. Because in many ways, they're saying, are you going to, you know, they're happy with the Julius Maccabee model, but they want that kingdom restored. They want a kingdom that they see will make the nation of Israel dominant over the whole world again. Because that's what the story had been in the past. You know, this little nation that was led to be in control in many ways of their own country and have influence on the world around them in the days of Moses, etc., and in the days of David. You know, they, they're kind of like, are you going to do that? Their focus, is that what Jesus has just said to them in the passage before that? Actually, it's not. He says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. You know, next slide, please. That's why I came to this thing, suspend your agenda. I went on a course Earlier this year, I was forced to go on this course at work called First Chair. And it was one of those courses about listening. Has anybody ever been on a listening course, been taught how to listen? It's, it's fascinating. When you go, you know, basically it's about, you know, um, when you're in situations, do you actually listen to the people around you? You know, and it's amazing. What they do is they, they put you in these imaginary business situations where you're, with, you're the, the company, you're with a client, and the client has got a complaint or something about the way you're doing, doing things. And you actually have to go through these role plays of you're going to meet the client, you're going to discuss their problem, and you're going to try to resolve that situation. And the, the amazing thing is... is through all these situations, what happens a lot of the time is you'll do this role play, then they'll, people will watch you and they'll make some commentary afterwards. And most of the time, it turns out that everybody goes into these meetings with a preordained idea of what the problem is. So they go in, it's sort of like this, you know, you know you're delivering late or something like that. So they go in and they go to the client and say, we, um, we're going to fix this problem for you. We're going to start delivering on time. The client will then say something like, well, what we want to do is get communication. We want better communication. Then you'll say, don't worry, we've got it sorted. We're going to start our processes earlier and we will no longer deliver on time. And this conversation will go on. Then it gets to the end of it and they'll... The commentary will be, for five times in a row, they told you what they wanted was better communication. But all you heard was, I want, all you listened to was deliver on time. And it's so often the truth. Amazingly, we do not listen to each other. We walk in with our own mindsets of what problems are. And we try to fix the problems that we see and not the problem or the issue that is actually there. 
You know, and remarkably, I think in some ways the disciples, the apostles are actually being like that with Jesus. They walk in, they say, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? All he's been talking about is I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's what his message has been. Not I'm going to restore any kingdom. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And what does he say next? He says, actually, what I want you I'm to... I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> Sorry. It's gone off. Don't do that. Please don't do that. No, I'm fine. What, they act, what he actually goes on to say, of course, he says, I want you to be my witnesses. So his first focus is not, his idea of kingdom is actually this group of people bound together by the Holy Spirit. Not their agenda, which is a fight back against authority, which will reassert the kingdom of Israel. And then he says, what I want from you is to be my witnesses. You know, and that, that second comment is when you're in this situation, you know, I think even in our personal lives, let me just say this as an aside here. You know, one thing I've noticed, even in the shepherding thing, is even in our own relationships between each other, oftentimes we don't listen. Even our marriages, etc., we go into relation, we go into difficult situations and we have agendas and we don't listen to each other, and therefore we never really address the problem, because we're off something else. Do you know what I mean? We think our spouse is complaining about the way that we're thinking, actually they're worried about the washing up not, not being done. Do you know what I mean? Those sorts of disparities. So, you know, we really do need to suspend the agenda, and also we need to sometimes shift the spotlight, that was a great phrase, off ourselves <coughs> and think about the other person. But, you know, Jesus asked them to be witnesses. Next slide. I want to talk a little bit. I want us to think a little bit about what does it mean to be a witness? What does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? Because he says, you know, I want you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's an interesting thought. You know, I think... Um, a little while back, we were talking, I think in a, we were in um, Chandler's Ford or something like that, and we were talking about how to, to be witnesses to the local area, how to get people into church. You know, and it was interesting for me because I thought, to most people today, especially many people in this country today, to walk up to them and say, do you want to come to church? The first question is, Almost, what is church? Why would I want to go to church? What does church actually mean? There's an assumption that maybe 50 years ago, it would have meant something very specific. But now, much of that has gone. And so, you know, if we're witnesses, it's got to be more than just church, hasn't it? You know what I mean? For me, 20 years ago, it was get on the tube every morning, ask the guy next to you to church. Honestly. Why? Why would you go to church? We've got to witness something different, you know. But the challenge is, is, is that we do need to be witnesses for Jesus. You know, how do we do that? We do that partially in what we say. 
what we share with other people. Do we share Jesus' words with people? Jesus' sayings, Jesus' standards? Interestingly, while we were in New York, not that I'm going to go on about New York, we went to, I always wanted to go and see a show on Broadway. That had a certain ring to me. Go on Broadway. Where did you see this show? I saw it on Broadway. That's what I want to say. But, you know, we, 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 we went and we saw um, a production of a play of the book, To Kill a Mockingbird. Has anybody read To Kill a Mockingbird? It's a very, very challenging book. Uh, the, the plot is basically is a black man is accused of raping a white girl. Which he didn't do. He did not do at all, basically. But the, 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 the book is about the, well, the play, I haven't read the book to be honest, the play is about the trial, very much focused on the trial of this black man. And the, pro, the real issue is, is he literally can't have done it because he physically has one arm that doesn't work. And the description of the attack on this woman is such that he would have needed both hands. So there is no way that he could have done it, basically. I mean, it's, it's just totally clear. But the, cross, the, the prosecutor cross-examines him, and the one point he hammers on about is that, the, that this guy who's accused had been in the same room as the girl when she said she was attacked. He was there. And they keep asking him, why were you there? Why did you go there? And his lawyer, who is actually the hero of the story, um, tells him the one thing he mustn't say is because he felt sorry for her. He mustn't say he felt sorry for her. Because black people were not allowed to feel sorry for white people in America at that time. That is, he can say, I wanted to help her. He can say any of those things, but he can't say, I felt sorry for her. And under pressure from the lawyer, he says, yes, sir, I felt right sorry for her. She seemed to try more than the rest of them. Based simply on that, totally against the evidence, he's convicted of raping this woman and sentenced to death because that's the punishment sort of thing. Astonishing. Astonishing. And um, he eventually tries to escape and he gets shot. The lawyer's convinced he's going to get him off, but it doesn't, it doesn't get to that point. It's, a, it's, it's weird watching it. But, you know, it's bizarre. Sometimes it feels like there's just some things you can't say. Do you ever feel like, as a Christian, there's some things you can't say. You know, it's challenging now, isn't it? Even in this country, there's things you can't say. Maybe about sexual orientation. Maybe about multi-faith. Maybe, I don't know, you tell me, abortion. There's things that you can't say. To be a witness, it's sometimes going to take courage 
and care and sensitivity in the things we say. Because Jesus, you know, what was Jesus' standard? He says, even look at a woman to lust on her and it's committing adultery. I am the only way, the truth and the life. To even hate is murder. The standards are very high. We have to share a different message. So we can say we're witness to what we say, but sometimes that will be challenging. And we are going to have to focus and have a sense of sensitivity and care about the things we say. So, you know, one way we witness is a way we, what we say, but let's not simplify it. It's going to take thought. Next slide. Another way we have to witness is in what we do. You know, I think this actually is more important than what we say in many, many ways. Isn't that true? Isn't it true that, you know, what we actually do, you know, um, I am um, a few months ago, well, how long ago was it, Simeon? About a month ago, Simeon organised a dance <laughs> He organised a dance for the, well, for, for, for a girl particularly, for, for a ME, for a charity around ME. Because one of the children who he taught had ME, basically. And so he organised this dance-a-thon, and um, it was on a Saturday afternoon down in Southampton. And I, I went, I, I, he said about it, and I'd forgotten it, to be honest. And then my son reminded me, it's on this afternoon. And I thought, hmm, probably should go along. <laughs> I thought, am I going to have to dance? I even texted Simeon. I said, am I going to have to dance? Can I sit down? I can't dance. I thought I'd get Karen to come. She had a pre-arrangement. I'm like, I can't. So he went. And Simeon came back. No, you don't have to dance. I thought Simeon was going to dance. That didn't turn out to be true either. Entirely. But we went to this dance-a-thon. And it was, you know, this lady was a daughter, mother of the daughter, had Emily and stuff like that. And I was just really moved by, um, you know, just the opportunity to show care for people in particular situation. And just Simeon setting that up really inspired me. I thought, isn't it amazing just to do that? And I thought that was such a good example. Such a strong witness to what you care about. Well, what was really interesting was while I was there, another group was there. And they were, um, they were a, used the same building and they belonged to a church group who were predominantly from the Philippines. And I got to have a great chat with this lady in the kitchen about church and stuff like that. But I realised, you know, when you do things, you get opportunities. When you're out there setting an example like Simeon was, you create those opportunities, that open doors, where you get a chance to share about Jesus. You know, I think it's really good for us to really think about our personal example. Is our personal example a witness to Jesus? You know, um, on Friday at work, I was in a grump all day. But I thought I was privately in a grump at my desk. And these, I was having a little bit of an argument with, um, with my boss. 
uh, via email. She's in South Africa. And she said something that really annoyed me. And I was sort of, I don't know, I was provoking her, I think, as much as anything. But um, I, I was writing away. And then suddenly, I was sitting at the desk, and the, the girl next to me pushed this little toy car onto my desk. <laughs> and I looked at this toy car. And I said, what's that? She says, that's the toy car from my Happy Meal. <laughs> I said, what? She said, I thought you needed to be happy. <laughs> it was so profound, it was untrue. <laughs> I thought, what sort of example am I? Do you know what I mean? This grum Funny thing was, then the lady behind me says, what are you doing this weekend? I said, I'm preaching. Mr. Grumpy's preaching. <laughs> Sunday, you know, who needs a happy car. How's your person? How's your personal example? Because that is a real witness to who Jesus is in your life. Do you get stressed? Do you get upset? Do you express it? I mean, there's nothing wrong with being real, is there? There's nothing wrong with being real. But there is something in making sure that people perceive the right things around us. The third and rather challenging thing about being a witness is the one of these Greek word thingies. But apparently, the Greek word for witness is interchangeably used in various Bible verses, translated not only as witness, but martyr. So Stephen was a witness to Jesus. But the Bible, several Bible translations translate that word at the time as a martyr. In effect, he was willing to die for what he believed. You know, and, and I think, but I think what that does is measure the extent of our commitment. Do people perceive how that I am truly committed to Jesus. Am I really committed to Jesus to as much as I would you know, die for him? I think sometimes die is a bit of a stark option that many of us won't face, thankfully. Do you know what I mean? I think, um, I don't know, but I don't think that many of us will be martyrs in Christianity. But there is a point, I think there's a subtle point here, a derived point, let me put it from here, is, is, the, is how much are we willing to change to be a Christian? How much are we willing to die to ourselves and our own nature? Right underneath there. That's a sense, for me, there's a sense of martyrdom in that. There's like, I am going to lose myself completely. Next slide, I'll finish in a minute. So, reading on in Acts, I'm going to try not to wake up Siri. It says, you know, what happens after Jesus said that about, um, uh, about being witnesses is he goes up into the sky and the disciples are left sort of looking around and then they're told, basically, you know, he'll come back. But for the meanwhile, you need to do what he said. And so it says then in Acts chapter 1, verse 20, it said, 
Uh, they, they basically look at the scriptures and the scriptures point to the fact that they need to replace Judas with another apostle. They, they get that from reading Psalm 69 and Psalm 110, I think, and they conclude they need to replace him. And so it says, it says, For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it is necessary for us to choose one of the men who have been with us for the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John, John's baptism to the time he was taken up, taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his, his resurrection. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apost apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast Lot, and the Lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven. <coughs> Roundabout way. But my thinking here as I read this was that if you're Matthias, right now, Matthias never gets another mention in the New Testament, but if you're Matthias, I think you're feeling okay. You're feeling okay, because you know, You've been selected and, you know, there's a lot of stories. If you're justice, I, I always wonder how justice feels. Because, you know, the phrase that would worry me is, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Why did he come up short when he knew everyone's heart? You know, that would be, the, that would be me. That would be the wrong way of looking at it. The right way of looking at it, if you're justice, is what do I need to change about my heart so that, you, you know, so that I would be like Matthias or whatever, however you want to put it. That's the way I think. But it, for me, alongside the martyr thing, it's like, what are you, what's your reaction when you need to change yourself? Do you embrace it? Or would you resent that challenge to change? Next slide. This is not my bike. <laughs> but I have a bike. Okay? I have a bike. Now, Rob's not here. <laughs> I can say this, okay? I can say this in safety. What I don't like about bikes is the kit that you have to wear when you ride bikes. I, I really can't. Lycra, da da da. No, no thank you. But. I realised I needed to get fit, so I bought myself a bike, and um, I bought the necessary adornments, and my bike is a little bit like that. But I'm determined not to get into a cycling club or anything like that, I don't want to get a life. But I thought, how am I going to get fit? And so, round where I live, there's quite a few hills, and uh, there's a little village called Hollybourne, and out of Hollybourne, there's a big hill that I've been down several times in my car and stuff like that, and it... I mean, it's steep. I thought, if I can get up that hill, I'm there. I'm fit. So first day I went out, I got about 20 yards up this hill, and I cannot I have to come down. I cannot get up this hill. And so for the last month, every, now, every week when I get the chance, I go to this hill. And I get a little further up. But then I totally run. I mean, literally cannot breathe. And I turn around and come down and I go a little, go a little another route. 
But I realized after a while, I, I only know about, I only know there's that, that bit about 20 yards ahead of me that I can see. And I can't get out that bit. I've never been beyond that. So I thought one day, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ride. And when I get to that bit, I'm gonna, I can't breathe. I'm going to get off my bike and I'm going to push for a bit. Then I'm going to ride, see if I can ride the rest of the hill. So I did that. I was dizzy. I couldn't breathe. I stopped. I got off my bike. I pushed a bit. And then I got back on. And I went all the way up the rest of the hill. and made it and carried on with my cycle. I was pumped. I thought, so now all I've got to do is get through that tiny 20 meters, that last little bit, and I can work on that bit by bit. Then I know I can do the rest. I like that because it's, it taught me something spiritually. You know, what do I need to change that I feel I can't change? You know, I have an anxious character. My wife will tell you I can be grumpy and pull funny faces. Sometimes I feel like I can't change it. But you know, probably there's just about 20 meters that I need to get through to get to the other side. And I can change it and I can go on the rest of the journey. When I think about being a master, I think about what do I need to change? What am I that close to that if I just push through, I could be the person that I want to be. I just want to ask you today, is there anything that you're just short of changing, that you've given up on, that you didn't think would work out, that isn't quite right, and you just need to push that last bit? You know, um, find a scripture. You know, I've forgotten this scripture. I've forgotten this scripture at all. You know, it's inspiring, you know. I think... The great example for us as witnesses is this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so you become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And they are able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. You know that wonderful phrase, um, shine among them like stars in the sky. You know, I, I pray today just as we think about our own lives, we'll think about our personal, you know, are we selfie focused? Are our ambitions for just for ourselves? Even if they're just for a family? Or do we look at Jesus and see an ambition that's for eternity and for the people around us to share eternity with us? Do we want to witness to that? To the people around us? Are we scared of what we have to say? Does our personal example shine the way it should do? And are the things that we just don't feel like we can change to become the people we need to be? You know, Jesus died on the cross so that he could pass on his Holy Spirit to his, to his followers so that they would be empowered not to physically fight the authorities around them, but to be a spiritual light to people around them. And that's what we remember as we take communion today. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, thank you so much that we could be together today, Lord, to, to look at the scriptures, God, and to, to think about your wonderful son, God, who gave so much to us. God, we think just of um, 
the incredible times that they lived, that Jesus and his apostles lived through, for, for the threat of the Romans forever around them, God and of authority. And we think of the courage that Jesus gave his people, his followers, to really take on the world, but not physically, but to take them on with spirituality and righteousness and within a shining example. Help us have the courage to share our faith in a way that is sensitive and thoughtful and, and respects those around us, yet stands by your word. God, help us have the courage to, to, to make sure that the day-to-day of our lives looks like you, God, that we become increasingly like you, though we'll never reach that standard. And help us to have the boldness, Lord, to, to never fear, but to always push on beyond our own limits and believe that we can shine like stars as we um, you know, hold out the word of truth. I pray in Son's name. Amen. Yeah.